Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest NXT edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right. Getting over is back. Once again, and we are here to break down everything that happened this Tuesday night on NXT, a taped edition for July 4th, but nevertheless, one that, spoiler alert, absolutely banged. We're going to get into all of that momentarily. Let me kick off the show with a reminder that our post-WWE Money in the Bank edition, the fallout edition of that show, as you would say, is already in your feed, so be sure to listen to that WWE episode. Of course, we are talking NXT today, and we will be back on Thursday with our week-long AEW episode covering Collision, Rampage, and Dynamite. Also, as we begin the show, a reminder that this podcast is all about Defy. So don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review if you do. We will read it live right here on the show. Please remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. Again, on Twitter at Getting Overcast. One other thing that you can remember here. I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do too, because for only five bucks a month, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Join us at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You get bonus audio, news posts, which always hit. And you get to support the show again all over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. As I said, our WWE conversation already in the books this week. So we're getting right into NXT and straight up this past Tuesday night. I thought it was one of the best in-ring episodes of NXT we have gotten in quite some time. I had three different matches on the show at 3.75 stars or higher, and that's not counting all the tremendous storytelling and other really fun elements that we're about to discuss. This was simply an outstanding episode of wrestling television. That's it. I'm excited to break it down. We had Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams backstage saying they weren't taking threats from Judgment Day lightly. Melo invited the entire faction to follow through on their threat and face them next week. I was interested to see who from Judgment Day would actually come down. I thought, hey, you know, it's probably just going to be Damian Priest and Dominic. But what ended up happening is Finn Balor answered that question later by appearing on NXT, saying it's clear that Mello and Trick are sweating Judgment Day, but JD doesn't sweat Trick and Mello. Balor promised to be on NXT next week, with the insinuation being the entire faction would be there. I just hope that this is promoted heavily on Raw. The infusion of main roster talent remains a plus, and it's actually not taking away that much from the rest of the superstars in NXT, all the developmental talent. That was always going to be key with these big names making cameos. So far, so good. I doubt Judgment Day has the same ratings impact as Rollins, but it is going to be interesting to see how much they draw next week. Ivy Nile was interviewed backstage about the Creed Brothers' upcoming match when Tiffany Stratton interrupted, wanting to talk about her title defense last week. Ivy reminded that Tiffy tapped out, and it really got contentious between them. Then it was clarified that the loser leaves NXT stipulation for later, was only involving the men in the ring and no one else in the respective groups. That clarification was definitely necessary, though it was also kind of assumed. Not a problem as it relates to schism, but it certainly could be an issue if the creeds take an L, and that's what we discussed last week. Later backstage, Joe Gacy and Ava promised the right team will win, 
and the outcome will strengthen Schism. He said he made the challenge to rid NXT of a problem forever. And both of these statements by them were purposefully vague. That played into our preconceived notions of not only the match outcome, but the purpose of the match being held in the first place. So let's go ahead and get right to that. Creed Brothers against Dyad Losers leave NXT. This was the main event match on the show. Before the bell, Julius ran up his brother's back to hit a superplex with Brutus hitting a cannonball-style slingshot tope. Then Julius hit a shooting star press immediately after the bell, but Joe Gacy made the save by pulling a leg, and the referee immediately ejected him from ringside. Julius had another great hot tag, but he got his knee chop blocked during a cover for a kayfabe injury. Brutus hit a insane springboard 450 halfway across the ring. Let's remember, Ricochet at Money in the Bank wasn't able to perfectly execute a springboard 450 into a ladder. But you have Brutus doing a springboard 450 halfway across the ring. Absolutely ridiculous spot. Then he ate a code breaker flying. Uh, Julius gave his brother a pep talk, but Dyad double teamed Brutus with a Tope Suicida style doomsday device. Another sick move. Dyad screamed 18 years at Julius, who hit a double toss and a kip up on one leg, plus a double moonsault. Ava distracted, so Ivy attacked her. Then a masked man in a red hoodie jumped into the ring and headbutted Julius. Dyad hit a double code breaker and got the one, two, three as the Creed brothers are now forced to leave NXT. A close-up of the guy in the mask, to me, it just looked like Gacy in disguise. The beard seemed exactly the same. The build of the guy seemed exactly the same. Maybe it's someone else and Gacy's gonna create a new team. I don't exactly know, but I'm just assuming it was Gacy. Well, look, suffice to say, this was a surprise booking. I mean, we discussed all the options last week, including the Creeds being the team leaving, but I still can't say I expected it. The only negative here is that Ivy isn't going with them based on what was established earlier in the show. And as we talked about previously, they should all be staying together, even if Ivy is far more green and more of a neophyte than the Creeds. But look, off to the main roster they go. And it's certainly well-deserved. I wonder if there's a specific spot for them or if NXT wanted to move them up to focus on the Stevenson brothers. More on that later, obviously because both pairs of brothers are extremely similar to one another, pairs of amateur wrestlers who are incredibly impressive athletically. If you remember a couple of years ago when we interviewed Shawn Michaels and we talked about call-ups and people getting Brock back down, Shawn explained that NXT call-ups to the main roster are not only done just because, hey, someone's really talented and they've gone through their time, so it's time to bring them up. Oftentimes, there are specific spots where WWE needs talent, and that can lead to them like picking out one guy or one girl or a team and bringing them up, even if they may not be, let's say, in the pecking order. I think it's fair to say the Creeds were among the top contenders for a main roster call-up. But what's most likely is WWE, Triple H probably, saw a need for a babyface team, whether it's as part of a group or on one specific brand, and then decided to bring them up because of that. Now, look, Alpha Academy would be a really soft landing spot. A lot of you tweeted that at me uh, after this happened. But for me, the Creeds are way too talented to be saddled by a comedy gimmick upon getting called up. And even if they were, usually what would happen is the team would join, they'd be frustrated about how comedic it is, and then they would turn heel. And there's really no reason for the Creeds to turn heel. I don't like them in that role. They're great baby faces. I think the best case would actually be the Creed showing up on SmackDown 
and just going wild against some of the really talented teams there. They're going to be massively successful in WWE, both short and long term. I'm certainly going to miss Booker T calling Brutus Brudai for no reason, as if he was multiple Brutuses in one person. I just always enjoyed it. It popped me. And they were a terrific part of the NXT decrees. In terms of Schism and Dyad, who the hell knows? Like maybe the second chance that Triple H and Shawn Michaels asked for, maybe they gave it to them and they're confident in their direction and their future usage. And they decided to send that tweet to kind of tease the fans and swerve all of us because of this story. Maybe they're still on their way out. And this was just used as a way, again, to swerve the audience before that eventually happens. Either way, this was an extremely eventful main event match. It delivered completely. I went 4.25 stars and an A, tons of storytelling and some top tier wrestling here. Braun Breaker hit the ring for the actual main event segment, saying two weeks ago he participated in the biggest match in NXT history on the most watched show in two years. All of that completely true. He said no one believed he could beat Seth Rollins until he speared his ass, but even though Braun ultimately lost that match, he was close to winning the World Heavyweight Championship despite only having 78 matches in his entire career. Breaker talked about beating LA Knight on his first night and proving at age 25 he can hang with the best in the world. Braun questioned what's next when Isla Dragunov interrupted, saying Breaker was the only guy between him and the NXT title. Dragunov then blindsided Breaker with a knee. They brawled, the entire locker room emptied. Eventually, they got separated after an extended battle that I would say Isla actually mostly won. It was a really hot end to NXT. It just wasn't a surprising one because they've been building to this. Like for that reason, it was strange that this was angled as some kind of mystery built from this confrontation with Sean last week when the end result of it seemed clear. But look, Braun cut a really solid heel promo. Isla's answer was well done. The question is whether they can stretch this out across three more weeks, I think, of NXT TV and get it all the way to the Great American Bash. I assume that's the plan as one of the few featured matches on that card. I also assume that Dragunov is going to win ending Breaker's time in NXT for good with him getting a call up to the main roster after SummerSlam. The heel work has been great. I know I said that I initially wanted Breaker in NXT for an entire year as a heel who doesn't have a championship. That way he could really build his character. But I'll be honest, he's done a great job this far. He's been in this role for three months. It'll be four months by the time Great American Bash ends. A little over that, maybe five by the time he actually gets called up. And yeah, I think it's worked. Um, I would still keep him down there until next WrestleMania and have him work major feuds without the title. But I do think it's fair to say he was champion for so long. He already got his title rematch and failed. He's not really going to go after the North American title or the tag team title. So there really are only so many things that NXT can do with him while he's still down there. But the idea of keeping him and turning him heel, as we talked about for like six months before it actually happened, I'm just glad they did it. It was the right decision. Baron Corbin in a promo package from his home talked about being embarrassed and pissed off after losing to Carmelo Hayes. He said he thought that experience and the return of the lone wolf gimmick nostalgia would be enough for him to win. And though he has everything he could want or need at home, showing off his jewelry and his expensive liquor and all that type of stuff, he doesn't have the reputation that he wants. He said he's seen as consistent, safe, and good, but he wants to be feared and respected. Corbin then threw both of his crowns, the Constable Corbin Friday's vest and shirt, the Happy Corbin Hawaiian shirt, and his lone wolf gear, all into an incinerator. 
Corbin wrapped it by saying, there's no going back. It's no more gimmicks, no nonsense, no bullshit. Well, okay, Corbin, I see you, man. Uh, Look, the lone wolf stuff, we thought it was a character change right back to it. Instead, it was indeed a nostalgia pop and then actually putting the gimmick to bed, which is really interesting. Seeing Corbin get serious like this, it makes me think they might actually strap him up with the NXT title before he leaves. Maybe they do something along the lines of what they did with Dolph Ziggler, where, you know, Mello has a nice run, Corbin beats him, holds it for a couple months, then Mello wins it back. That would make a lot of sense. A refresh for Corbin is badly needed, and this is the best he has been presented in years. Maybe the best since his original Lone Wolf run. I wouldn't be surprised about that. Corbin, I stand by it. He remains underrated. I'm fully here for this. I did think the no bullshit at the end while it was hot and like I like the the cursing and the bleeping, all that's fine. It did remind me of Paul White doing the whole no BS gimmick in AEW because no big show, quote unquote. But I'm sure that no bullshit isn't going to be his gimmick. It's just part of the explanation of what the gimmick is going to be. So, so far, so good from this Corbin repackage. Can't wait to see what else they do. Mustafa Ali fought Tyler Bate. This started hot with plenty of counters. Ali put Bate in an STF only to get lifted clean and spun like a helicopter with Ali countering into a really sick tornado DDT at the end of the helicopter. Bate countered Ali, turning him inside out with a rebound lariat, plus a missed high-risk move with both guys unbalanced on the ropes. Ali convinced Bate in the match to pause. That way they both didn't fall. Instead, he pushed him down, crotch first into the top rope, and then hit the 450 for the win. It's great seeing Ali get like this extended ring time. He's showing personality in his wrestling and his backstage segments. And he's just getting a chance to cook in NXT. I went 3.75 stars B plus for this match. And we got the right winner with Ali challenging for a North American title match at Great American Bash. Whether he wins that or not, I could go either way. But this, what we got on Tuesday night, was indeed great. Eddie Thorpe fought Damon Kemp in NXT Underground. Now, this did share some similarities to the Raw Underground setup without all the kitschiness of it, I would say. It was held in the main ring of the Performance Center with the ropes removed, the lights dimmed, and PC talent surrounding the ring outside with fans still in attendance. Rules were knockout or submission only. Gable Stevenson wore his Olympic gold medal and accompanied Thorpe despite, again, being the real-life brother of Kemp, who is Bobby Stevenson. Kemp dominated with takedowns. Thorpe rebounded outside until Kemp threw a woman between them and landed a cheap shot. Kemp and Stevenson went face-to-face. Thorpe caught Kemp in a triangle only to get lifted and powerbombed into the edge of the ring. Kemp added a high-angle German suplex. Then he failed on a second rear naked choke. Thorpe came back with a German and a Saito suplex. Then he caught Kemp cold with a lifted knee, only for Kemp to chuck him from the ring outside to the floor with a huge belly-to-belly suplex. Stevenson, for some reason, showed his gold medal to Thorpe at this time. He's literally waving it in his face. I'm laughing out loud at that. Booker T had a great line. Why is he showing him the medal? What the hell is that going to do? Great question, Book. It was so weird. Anyway, Thorpe dodged Kemp into the post with a dislocated shoulder cell. Thorpe came back with a German suplex and a triangle on the injured shoulder, hammering Kemp with elbows, for the TKO victory in eight minutes. Stevenson then raised Thorpe's arm after the bell. A PC trainee tried to get Gable's attention. He kept touching his gold medal. So Stevenson ducked a swing from the guy and hit an insane German suplex, plus a belly-to-belly suplex on another guy and a German suplex on a third guy. Then this enormous dude steps to him, only for Stevenson 
to hit an overhead belly-to-belly suplex on that dude to end the entire thing. All right, folks, look. This entire deal was fucking awesome. No exaggeration. You want to talk about executing a concept? NXT Underground is exactly what Raw Underground should have been. The difference being Raw was an overproduced mess of squash matches with the strippers for a short time, Shane McMahon yelling on the microphone. This actually delivered brutal action that fans wanted to see. The energy was extremely high. The wrestling was strong. The spots made you pop. And while the atmosphere was a little bit less polished, all of it happening in front of a live crowd helped it succeed. This is a match concept that should absolutely be used a couple times a year because now you can trust that Shawn Michaels and his team are gonna get it right. NXT did the same thing, improving Lion's Den with Fight Pit. And that finish, it was straight out of that old video game, Virtua Fighter. I loved that game so much back in the day and I loved this match. Four stars and an A minus. And all of that is before talking about Stevenson. Okay, yes, the entire idea of him helping Thorpe despite being Kemp's brother and that still not being addressed in kayfabe, it remains ridiculous. But his suplexes, they were young Brock Lesnar style in terms of their snappiness. And his kip-ups, he went flying in the air on those. He also murdered that NXT dude who was appearing on The Bachelorette. I'm not saying Stevenson's gonna be Lesnar. Not saying he's gonna be Kurt Angle. What I'm talking about is the energy and power that we saw from him tossing these dudes around. It was also the first time that we've truly seen Gable show personality. Maybe he's just one of those dudes who's kind of bland outside the ring, but while wrestling, man, he definitely sparked. And there's also, look, Kurt Angle had to learn it also. You get in the ring and you use that energy and then you try to figure out a way to take that and apply it to your promos. You apply it to your character when you're not actively competing. Angle did it. Will Gable be able to do it? I have absolutely no idea. But I will tell you for a first impression, what he was able to do in the ring on Tuesday, massively impressive. I just hope that he's hanging around NXT and actually working down there because this created legitimate hope for him. And, you know, look, he's not the biggest star. I mean, an amateur wrestler can only be so big. But you have Gable Stevenson, end of 2023, early 2024 as your NXT champion. People are going to watch that. They're going to care about it. One last thing before we move on. And I say this legitimately. WWE has been talking about creating additional programming for Peacock and other streaming services, in-ring product. There was a mention at one point of like a Lucha Libre show. I think Nick Khan talked about that. Lucha Libre to me, it's an inauthentic style to WWE. You can have Lucha wrestlers within the WWE product, but doing a separate Lucha show, it's not what WWE is about. I say this about NXT Underground as George Costanza once said, when he was pitching the show about nothing. There's a show, that's a show. This could be an entire brand. And I know people are gonna call out, well, Silver King, what about Bloodsport? That's absolutely a direct comparison, no question. Except Bloodsport gets extreme and they're putting on like 25, 35 minute matches. This is a lot more quick burst, more like a mix of Bloodsport and amateur wrestling the physicality, the aesthetic, the atmosphere, it would absolutely be difficult to do weekly as part of an NXT television show. But if you taped two to three matches a week on a streaming show with some storylines, 
I bet you it would work. Roxanne Perez fought Blair Davenport in the opener of NXT. Roxy attacked Blair on the ramp before the bell. Davenport tossed her off the top rope and hit a double stomp outside. Perez got dodged into the steel steps, taking a knee to the face and beating the count to nine. Blair also hit a Falcon Arrow and two Kamagoyes to win clean in 12 minutes. It was a bit surprising to see Roxy get beat like this definitively, but she did take a shitload of punishment before the final bell. Davenport, she's a significant talent. And now that she's back and they just put her over Perez, she should be in line for a major push. Lyra Valkyria fought JC Jane. Lyra dominated this match and looked great. She dodged Jane's kick, hit a huge roundhouse followed by her knockout kick for the win. JC immediately attacked her after the bell and then ripped apart her feathers and talked trash. Look, Lyra's been looking good, as Booker T would say, but I simply don't understand why she stuck using a kick as a finisher. Like, it's not even good. This is the third time they failed on a finisher for her. They gotta come up with something better. I'm not sure this feud actually needs to continue, but clearly we're gonna get another match between them sooner than later. Tony D'Angelo was fuming when Stax visited him in jail. Tony D said he heard the tapes. Stax said he didn't know what tape he was talking about, but he did cut a great deal for Tony. That fucking rat Joe Coffey showed up with Stax saying they came to an agreement. They fight one-on-one next week. If Stax wins, the charges get dropped and they get a tag team title match. If Coffey wins, D'Angelo stays in jail and likely gets convicted. Tony D was pissed that Stax made the decision on his own and sold him out, basically. Stax said he'd have to live with the decision. He had no other choice. And then Coffee rubbed some salt in the wound. So interesting way to develop the storyline. Tony was right that Stax is going to be facing like a one-on-three disadvantage. So it remains to be seen how this actually transpires. Now, it has been 13 months since Cole Carter was released. And initial word was that WWE would welcome him back. He just needed to be gone for a year. So perhaps we're about to get the return of two dimes to mitigate the disadvantage. Stax is obviously going to get the win here. Tony's not staying in jail. I'm curious to see how it goes down. And yeah, the storyline is a little bit convoluted. I mean, you have these guys openly talking about basically a false charge and Gallus being willing to drop it. It's on camera. The cops don't see this and then say, well, clearly this is false. We should let the guy out of jail. You know, you have to suspend you know, the disbelief a little bit. But for a wrestling storyline, given how ridiculous the mobster gimmick is anyway, it plays. Andre Chase returned to Chase U, getting an ovation from the students. He was proud of Duke Hudson for stepping up in his absence and proving he's the MVP. Then he praised Thea Hale for nearly winning the title. Chase called out Drew Gulak and Charlie Dempsey for trying to poison their minds. A student asked if they were still going to guest lecture. So Chase snapped at him. What a dumb effing question. And then Hudson snapped even more. Now with Chase U all on the same page, they might actually be more over than ever. Good segment getting back to basics for the gimmick. Noam Dar was broken up, speaking eloquently to a picture of the Heritage Cup like it was a long lost lover, perhaps something that perished. Metaphor walked in trying to figure out how to cure his depression. Dar continues to do well. Kiana James saw a wet paint sign on her office, so she walked inside to see it absolutely trashed. Phony was spray painted on the walls with a note from Gigi Dolan saying that James could never outrun her past. Then we had Bronco Nima and Lucian Price never rolling through the hood again, excited about making their in-ring debut next week. All these were fine. There wasn't much to any of them worth exploring further, at least on the podcast. I'm most interested in the Nima Prince debut. NXT needs to start giving teams names upon their debuts. I'm sick of just one person and another person in terms of tag team names. And women's tag teams, almost all of them need names. Like, it's ridiculous that Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan don't have a name. It's ridiculous that Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green don't have a name. Like, give these teams names. I don't get why they aren't doing it. 
Von Wagner was beating up Javier Bernal at ringside with Mr. Stone begging him to get Javi in the ring and start the match. Instead, Von cleared the announce table and powerbombed him through it. He actually got a decent pop for once and he egged on the crowd for more. Commentary made it sound like everyone was going nuts, but that wasn't the case. It was a small portion of fans cheering for him. Was it an improvement? Absolutely. Do I care about Von Wagner? No, I do not. Kalani Jordan fought Tatum Paxley. Dana Brooke accompanied Jordan to the ring for her first TV match. Kalani flashed, but proved to be green as expected. She countered a vertical suplex into a cutter. It wasn't actually a cutter because her head was under Tatum's arm, yet somehow that resulted in an upset victory. It looked even stupider on replay. I just didn't like this at all. Beyond that, I see no reason for a true neophyte in Jordan to beat Paxley, who just continues to get jobbed out, sliding further and further down the card. A really strange booking decision here. Now, Cora Jade came out talking shit after the bell, saying Jordan is now her enemy because she's friends with Brooke. Kalani cut her off and challenged her one-on-one. Cora said she won't be told what to do and left, so that's gonna happen next week instead of this week. I just don't care about Kalani Jordan and Cora Jade. I don't really care about Dana Brooke and Cora Jade, and I don't think Tatum Paxley needed to lose for this to happen. Also, you had Tatum Paxley help out Blair Davenport a couple weeks ago, yet she didn't factor into that match, and they don't really seem to be a team, even though that would have made a lot of sense. So I'm just kind of confused at what they're doing with her and what they're doing with this entire situation. But folks, look, that was this week's edition of NXT. As I explained, an extremely entertaining show, three high-quality matches. And if you happen to be someone who listens to these podcasts for your NXT recaps and you don't watch every single week, I implore you to do so. You know, I was giving it praise probably in January up through WrestleMania, and it was good. But from NXT Battleground onward, you could make an argument it is the best, most consistent wrestling show. Not necessarily the best matches week to week or the best storylines, but from a week to week basis, the one that seems to deliver every single time, you would be hard pressed to watch NXT and not enjoy a significant portion of what they're giving you, even if perhaps you don't enjoy the entire show. But alas, that is the second edition of Getting Over to Come to an End this week. Again, I repeat, we already have the WWE episode in the feed waiting for you. This, of course, covered NXT, and we will be back on Thursday with your AEW show. I am going to send a questionnaire out via our Twitter account at Getting Overcast to find out what you all want me to do regarding NXT and AEW, if you want it to go back to a single show, if you want them to remain separate shows, I will be candid. It is extra work each week for the Silver King to do NXT separate, but the AEW shows are gonna start getting long. Do you guys want two shows that are 90 minutes plus every week? You know, Do you want the breakup? We'll find out, but that questionnaire will be out there on our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast, so be sure to answer that and the rest of the questions. Again, that'll be sent out later this week. And don't forget to follow us at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, all that good stuff. Also, please remember that this show is all about Defy. And it would be fantastic if you head over to Apple Podcast and Spotify and leave five-star ratings for us. On Apple, it'd be even better if you leave a five-star written review and let everyone know how much you love the show, because if you do, we will read it live right here on the air. Also, I happen to love the number... Five. And I sure hope you do too, because we would love to have you as an official getting overhead. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. And for only $5 a month, you support your boy right here, the Silver King. 
Vintage Chris Vanini, and the entire production of the podcast. But not only that, you also get bonus audios each week and news posts every single week, giving you the latest insight, primarily into WWE for now, working on gaining some AEW chops as well. Thank you all for listening to the latest edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back on Thursday for the third time this week. But at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.